Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Welcome to Podcart and welcome to a special edition of the podcast. And I'm here with LP Records impresario Lorenzo. Hello. And we are, hello, we're in your shop. Mm-hmm. And um, you are based in the West End of Glasgow. Yep. How long have you been here? Uh, October 2015, so about two and a half years. And how, how difficult was it to open a record shop? Be honest now. It was pretty terrifying the closer we got to it. It was more cleaning and DIY and stuff for the, the months leading up to it. But I was always like excited about it. If you ask my mum, my mum was terrified as soon as I told her. And am I allowed, I shouldn't really ask this, but I'm going to. How old are you, Lorenzo? I am 23. Which is fucking impressive for you to open a, a shop at 23. Thank you. And were you, was your mum, so you said she was terrified. Yeah, is she, she proud of you now? I hope so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And um, are you from Glasgow? Yeah. And you've been born and bred here? Yep, East End. How, what was your first musical memory? Oh God. Um, I remember vividly when I would leave school, I used to get the train home since I was like 10 and the school was in the middle of town. So we'd kind of walk down to the train, you'd pass HMV every day. And I used to be obsessed with buying CD singles. So I remember picking up uh, Orson and Embrace and probably Hard Fi. Stuff I'm really embarrassed about now. I would be embarrassed about Hard Fi. Yeah, but I do vividly remember just a wall of CD singles because they were like a pound. Yeah. So you've got that extra pound that's not your train fare. And you would just, I would just spend it on anything that looked half decent or that heard on like. Was Beat 106 a radio station? Yeah, maybe? it was. Right, okay. Anything I heard on Beat 106, I liked. I would see if it was on the wall. And I'd get it before I got on the train home. And then my dad might pick me up from the train station and I would put it straight on the car. So indie seemed to feature quite prominently. Yeah. And so what, I mean, in, you know, people go through various trends of indie, grunge, hip hop. Was was your musical taste fairly eclectic as time went on? I think so. I, I remember being 11, 12 and wearing Guns N' Roses t-shirts all the time and like that was real music, that kind of chat, the whole real music thing. <laughs> so I was wearing Led Zeppelin, Guns N' Roses, I had all the posters on my wall. Uh, I was like classic rock or nothing. Yeah. And then I got more into radio stations like that, like indie radio stations playing guitar indie and I guess it just got more sophisticated from there I hope so but it seemed to just kind of it started off embarrassing uh, and then yeah it gets more eclectic the more exposed you get to uh, I guess even like Spotify coming out when yeah. I was at school and so what on earth made you think that you wanted to open a record shop I mean I'm not a vinyl nerd I'm a music nerd like I I wanted, I was doing marketing at uni and I just wanted to do something in music, but I had like, I don't play in bands, I don't play instruments, I had no pals in music or anything like that. Um, and then I, I went to the States for a couple of weeks just to like, and I had this idea in my head, I'm going to email tons of people and get an internship somewhere and that'll be so amazing, I'll definitely do that. Um, and when I came back, I was all kind of enthused, I'd met some nice people and stuff like that, and the shop was up for sale. And I'd worked for the last like two years and it was a really dodgy shop so it was like nobody wanted to touch the least or anything like that 
So it just was like a week of convincing myself. Because I, I would buy tons of records, but I felt like I was going online a lot more than I would like to. Yeah. Like You can fill all the gaps in all the different shops here. So I knew there was a market um, for people like me. So it's just that and convincing myself for a good wee while that it was affordable, possible and worth trying. And so in terms of what you stock here, um, the I've obviously flicked through um, and I've bought the Shame album today because I've become quite obsessed with them. Um, you, It seems to be fairly kind of new uh, mm-hmm. records. Yeah. Was that a conscious decision? Yeah, definitely. I would get really... I get really excited about how every Friday kind of leads our success. If it's a really good New Music Friday, we have a really good week. I kind of like that, that we rely on what art comes out on that weekend. And I like the buzz of new music. I am not don't get that bogged down too much with the... Uh, I can have like a what have you done for me lately approach to bands. I don't really care about a band that hasn't put a record out in four or five years unless they're like my favourite band. Yeah. So I just like that buzz of new music and constantly discovering new things. Yeah. And when you're in here every day, you get, you know, eight hours to sit and put on whatever you want. So it's quite, it's a lot easier than most people's lives to keep up with new music. And does do you find that that creates quite a happy balance to your life, being able to do that as part of your job? Yeah, because it's what I would be, you know, if I worked in an office, I'd have my headphones in all day, you know, so it, or if I was coming home from work, I'd be putting on music, whereas I don't have to do that now. Yeah. It's almost like a nice break to come home from work and not be listening to music yeah. sometimes. Uh, so it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's the most important thing in my life, work-wise and leisure-wise, like I go to a lot of gigs. So it's nice to kind of have the two feed off each other. And do you get, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, especially when I was going through the racks there, was do you get people that come in that are kind of traditional vinyl buyers or old school music know-it-alls and go, why why aren't you stocking uh, the Rolling Stones or um, why aren't you stocking such and such? And Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's fine, but it's just not, like, not everyone can stock everything which is why there's so many great shops here already, but I wasn't completely fulfilled in what I wanted to buy. So everyone's got to fill in the gaps, and I think we're just filling in the gaps. Totally, you filled a niche, which is really awesome. Well, that's what we're trying to do, yeah. really, because it's not, I don't see any competition between us all. We're all we all do very much different things sometimes. Yeah. There's the odd big release that we'll, we'll share, but uh, it would bore me to death if I was selling Rolling Stones reissues to 14 year olds and, and their dads from forever you'd probably make a lot more money but it would bore me to death and what are your I mean obviously you've you've fulfilled I'm assuming this is a dream for you to to do well I just that's the thing like every every time I get asked my dream isn't to run a record shop uh, and I don't think I'll be doing this for like the rest of my life or anything no. like that but uh, my career or I get to make a living sharing new music and meeting people who are super interested in new music, which is the important thing for me right now. That's kind of all I care about is the immediate. You know, I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. Yeah. You know, the important thing for me is I'm having fun and I'm doing something productive and creative that will help me in the future. And I'll get to meet interested people, do interesting things. So that's all I really think about is how good it is right now. And what are still some of your kind of fears, um, either doing this or going forward? What are you scared of? I mean, all it takes is a bad month of new releases for me to go, oh, fuck, what are we going to do here? Is this going to, are we going to pay that bill at the end of the month? 
And then like January's quiet. Uh, it's just the obvious, the things everyone goes through of quiet months, stuff like that. It's a wee bit scarier when you're so niche and when you're so kind of, we do just roll week to week with new releases. So you can't quite pinpoint too many things that are like guaranteed money makers, which is why Record Store Day is great, because it is just a big day. And you can kind of see that in your future when you've got bills to pay and go, that's a big busy day. So that was something I was going to ask you, because obviously as a consumer and someone that works in the music industry and a lot of people that I know, um, including artists now, um, so from the label perspective, from a DIY label, and you'll probably kind of know this because of we'll talk about the label that, that you have as part of the shop, the, your, the amount of, of um, kind of processing and, and just making vinyls in the lead up to that is, is a fucking nightmare mm-hmm. because um, A, it's just so busy and B, you can sometimes get pushed to the bottom of the chain if there's a bigger artist yeah, totally. wanting to get there. Um, but um also it's um the other downside for a lot of people is that it's become such a corporate exercise totally. um and the big labels have come you know they've taken over but for you and i've spoken to love music and i guess monorail as well um and countless other record stores it is the decider whether that can keep your store open for the yeah, year 100%. so when for, for for me that that's a massive positive mm-hmm. Um, so did when did you have that outlook before and have you changed your mind since you've opened the store? I used to, I mean I used to queue for record store late. like I did used to go to mono and queue. Yeah. Uh but I'd have my eye on like a few things. I didn't really care too much about the whole big day. The first year we opened I actually was gonna not do record store day because I was like, Oh, it's such a corp I don't know. I had this the same ideas in my head. But um I mean, doing it, there's definitely just so many pointless releases and there's so much shite to go through. But uh, if we didn't do that first year, I don't think we'd be open. Wow. I really don't. If, if I had just like, and I, I think I applied the last day you could apply. So if I didn't apply that day, I don't think we'd be open. It's just, it makes, it's just such a busy day. Mm-hmm. And you can just like take a portion of it and go, right, that's my rent for the next wee while. I guess we're open for the next wee while. Yeah. You know, so it's good, but there's definitely... I mean, there's so many people that will come that day that will never come back, or they'll come back next record store day. Yeah. Which is fine, you just kind of have to, yeah. to deal with it. But yeah, it's probably worse for smaller labels and stuff like that. But it definitely saves saves us a lot. It definitely gives you that. It's the only concrete, I think, in running the record store that's like, we're going to get money that day. Yeah. You know, we're going to definitely pay the rent that month. We're going to. Not everything else has that. Like there's stuff, there's albums I'll buy in that I'll commit to a lot of, and if nobody shares my opinion on it, it won't be the money maker I hoped it would be. But uh, record store day is kind of like a guarantee, and we can have a big fun day with it. Like it is nice, yeah. and it's nice to see so many people in the shop. Like it's nothing better when the shop's busy, and everyone's talking, and we have music on and stuff like that. So it's great. It's a great day, but uh, there's definitely tons of downsides to it. Yeah. So. Um, we'll talk more about the store and, and things surrounding it, but you I've asked you to pick um, six tracks that um, mean a lot to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously quite a difficult exercise for yeah. a lot of people. Um, you The first track you picked, which um, is one of the saddest songs ever written <laughs> and performed, and my hair cries because it's so sad, um, is Pedro the Lion. 
know when I first discovered this and it's soundtracked the um, actual dust of the remains of my heart, which is on the floor. <laughs> um, what, how did you discover Pedro the Lion? Uh, I remember the first song I ever heard was Big Trucks. I remember that really vividly. I don't remember when. Um, I think I was four, I think I heard Big Trucks when I was like 14, and that was all I heard. And I came back when I was like 16 and everything's kind of made a bit more sense. And Pedro the Lion have been my favourite band since that day. And I, there's a there's a playlist on the, on the shop, uh, like Sonos thing, which is called All Bazan Available. And it's <laughs> everything Dave Bazan's ever done. And nine times out of 10, if you walk in the shop, uh, I'll be shuffling it. Yeah. I don't think I've gone a day in the past four years without playing Pedro the Lion. Um, yeah, I'm a wee bit obsessed. And um, have you managed to see um, anything no, live? No, because the last time Bazan was in Glasgow, I was 16, yeah. 17 maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they'll be coming back with this new record, so I'm going to get to see them. Are you going to do everything to try yeah. and oh get, my God, yeah. get them in store? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you everything. might. Yeah. Everything. Please try and get David Bazan in with like a broken piano and, um, you know, just maybe the, the top lifted off like he was in, you know, a video and um, we can just sit and cry yeah. all together. No, I would, I would do absolutely everything because that would, like we got, we've had some really cool in stores and we've done stuff like that before, but a Bazan one would just, would send me over the edge, yeah. I think. Because it kind of like, the whole arc of those albums remained, they were almost like, they remind me of the same, I went to like a really religious school, I grew up quite religious, um, and I kind of fell out of it the exact same way Bazan seems to, so everything about those, and the songs were written so well, everything about those albums just like immediately rung true to me, and particularly that song, it's just like, there's lines in it, there's a line, if all that's left is duty, I'm falling on my sword, which you can put into just a million different contexts. And it's just really, really nice. And it's the same way I kind of feel about... Like when I said I'd, I wouldn't want to just sit and sell Rolling Stones reissues. Yeah. If that was all the shop was, to pay the rent at the end of the month by selling shite, I wouldn't do it. No. So stuff like that. There's stuff he says that just I feel like he's writing it for me. And there's a million people that think like that, which is why he's so good. Yeah. Um, You're quite a... Um a, a, a bold character especially online <laughs> um, <laughs> you there is that don't give a fuck attitude which I kind of mm. I think there's a group of us that are quite similar in that respect and we sometimes get in I don't know have you got into trouble yeah yeah okay well I've got into a lot of trouble yeah. as we probably <laughs> know so um, the I wanted to ask is do you sometimes um, think Maybe I should tone it down because I'm a, a shop owner, or do you just think no, take take it or I'll, leave it? Well, to be honest, I almost feel like I have more of a responsibility to be more of a abrasive wank mm -hmm. sometimes if it's in the name of <laughs> something we believe in. Uh, I think we've cultivated a wee kind of a niche and like a a group of regulars and a group of people that trust us to kind of look out for them. Mm -hmm. um, so if we ever have any kind of voice or influence or sway, I'm going to try and use it for good. Yeah. Or to kind of promote them or the problems they're dealing with. So I've never quite... 
I mean, my again, my mum hates it. She hates if I swear in as well. So that's kind of my mum though. So going back to what you mentioned about religion, are your is your family still quite religious? Not in like an overt way, but yeah, yeah my mum's religious and my dad's fairly the same, but nothing like not not a cult. Yeah, no, <laughs> just in like a, <laughs> and an Irish Glasgow East End yeah. way that everyone is. It's just almost like a cultural thing. So obviously your your name. Yes, we bit Italian. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, you have to go back about, I think it's 135 years to so find what, the last Italian. What made them name you Lorenzo? My Irish granddad's name, my mum's closer to Ireland than my dad is to Italy. Yeah. My Irish granddad is called Lawrence, or my mum's favourite uncle was called Lawrence, somewhat. So Lorenzo's the Italian for Lawrence, and nobody wants to name you like Stevie Pachiti or, you know, something really Scottish and Pachiti. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> so somebody's got to break the chain but nobody's done it yet some Lorenzo for now good but yeah uh, um, do you get quite a lot of questions about yeah, your oh name yeah oh my god yeah. yeah I've never given my name to somebody without having to repeat it yeah or to be like you sure or like second name in particular as well is just a nightmare yeah and it's almost uh horrible irony that with my accent I can't even say my name that well <laughs> like I feel like it rolls really badly when I say my name <laughs> so yeah but it's, it's distinct I guess talking about um so let's move on to your your next song which is um another complete and utter heartbreaker <laughs> which is probably I'm a sad a, boy it's yeah it's a it's a common theme um until we get kind of a bit later on um frightened rabbit um, mm -hmm. Now, when what what album did you discover your your supreme love for Frightened Rabbit? Well, I'd heard music now and sing the like. Oh, I heard a bit of Sing the Grace, but I was like, I was not even in high school. I don't think. Yeah. Sing the but I had a teacher who was really kind of indie, so they were. I think I'd heard it off that. Um, but then, uh, Modern Leper was. The, it's the song that sticks out in my head as the kind of genuine big foray from classic rock, like I Like Guns N' Roses and that's it, into what I kind of have now, which is this kind of uh, introspective indie, like that's all the kind of music I like. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Modern Leopard was the first song that hit me like, this is new, this is what I like now, I guess. And Frank and Rabbit were like my favourite band through my whole teens. Yeah. Because they were this, I like the idea that they were from. Like now, I'm not that precious about. They need to be local bands. I like. I'm not that precious about it anymore. Yeah. But at the time, it was like Frightened Rabbit, Twilight Sad, Jetpacks, were all you know big bands at the same time. Or like, they still felt underground. They felt like you were one of the first people to hear about them. Yeah. But in reality, they were really breaking. Um. So that whole time and that whole scene is dead. Sticks out to me as starting high school and then run the whole way through high school if somebody asked me a favourite band it would be those three Glasgow bands yeah I wouldn't really go much further uh, and where did you go to high school uh, St Aloysius right okay yeah yeah mm. um, and were your was it did your friends did they listen no, to the same no I mean I I didn't have I had maybe two friends around the music before I was 18 mm-hmm and when I sit into music, I mean, they would even talk about anything 
music. And even now I have like, I have tons of my pals from school, or from before the shop, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, and it's all, music's just on the back burner, which yeah. is totally fine because it gives me a break. Uh, but then I have tons of pals I've met since opening the shop that that's all we talk about. And it's good, it gives you that outlet for both. Walks amongst you all, you tired human beings. He's got all the things a cripple has, not two working arms and legs. And vital parts fall from his system and dissolve in Scottish rain. Vitally, he doesn't miss him, he's too fucked up to care. Was I you in front of me? Coming back for even more Exactly the same well, You must be a masochist Love a modern laugher On his last leg On his last leg Crippled your heart a hundred times and still can't work out why You see, I've got this disease I can't shake and I'm just rattling through the light Oh, well, this is how the things now, yeah This is how the modern state's scared So I cut all the good stuff, yeah, I cut my food 
quickly, um, I guess, well, Scott's quite a, a gifted man. Um, the way that he uses, he kind of like metaphors and the way that he creates imagery and, mm. and he's so vivid and, and you kind of really connect with um, the way that he's explained kind of heartbreak and, and his, I guess, various things in life. Um, when you were at, is it is it just now that you feel that you can kind of connect more with what he was writing about or did you connect back then? There was definitely something I was clinging to back then, but I mean, I was, I was definitely far too young when I first heard the record to understand anything that was going on. But I remember it being my favourite album is weird to me because I don't maybe I mean Modern Leopard is just like a massive tune as well when you're hearing it for the first time um, I think it was my f it was because it was my first um, obsessiveness with lyrics maybe yeah that things would point things would stick out to me metaphors would stick out to me but I couldn't like empathise with like I'd never had a relationship breakdown when I'm 13 or whatever mm -hmm. but yeah because cause they maintained their status as my favourite band for my old teens and still up to now I feel like just every time I go back to a Frank Rabbit record I'm finding new things or I'm empathising more which is what the kind of basis of the record is yeah. like the way he explains things is so visceral and sincere like it's hard not to just kind of get yeah. caught up in them so maybe that was, just, that was the appeal when I was younger just this kind of visceral and the fact that they were local just made it that even more special, I guess. What's the best show that you've ever been to that they've played? The last Barras, like the, the most recent Barras one was yeah. ridiculous. Because they had an amazing light show as well. And I think as the albums have gone on, they've fleshed out that live show. There's a lot more instrumentation as well on the new records. And when you add that new, those new layers of instrumentation to like the first record songs that had there's only like bass on like two of those songs and now they've got five musicians playing them mm -hmm. I feel like they're just getting better as a as a live band it's probably the last one and do you feel I mean I guess this is I know probably the answer but do you still feel that kind of sense of pride when you see them doing so well yeah which is I mean I just I, as again like when that scene that I, I kind of associate so much with me being 14 mm -hmm. or me being 13 and trying to tell everyone I'm the first kid like you should hear this band I heard them a year ago shit like that yeah but there's still something uh, nice about that feeling so I guess now to see them doing and a lot of artists I love reference Freight Rabbit you know and seeing that kind of shared interest and it's not just this is like a local band done good this is a big band um, who are important to me as they are to other people and to people I respect mm-hmm it's definitely like a good, like a feel. You obviously spent some time with with Scott um, this week. How was that for you? Is that the first time you met him? No, we've. Uh, when I was sixteen, we couldn't remember the date the other day, but Scott got Twitter for the first time, right? <laughs> and as you know, I like Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so I have my old Twitter account, and Scott did like a patter test thing so it was like a follow I can't remember what the joke was it was like I'll follow one person and grade their pattern and it was me <laughs> uh, and I was like I was going nuts about it and I was like carefully curating every tweet to make sure my pattern was on point um, and then like we met at a signing when I was like just a wee super fan 16, 17 year old 
And then when I opened the shop, they did that gig at the art school, and uh, Tom, go flight paint Tom, was like, have you ever actually met him? Have you ever actually spoken to him? And I was like, no, I can't do that, I can't do that. Like, I know I'm a lot better about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm always quite bad at being starstruck, can I go then? Yeah. So that was the first time we'd, like, I went up, and Tom goes, this is Lorenzo, he runs up here, and he goes, he goes, Lorenzo Petite. <laughs> and I'm freaking out immediately. I'm like, what? He's like, from Twitter. I'm like, you fucking kidding? That was like four years ago, five years ago. And now, like, yeah, it's just nice to know your. Remember. I don't want to say the word heroes now that I actually know them. It's nice to know your heroes are good people. Yeah. That's just something they'll never get old about that. That's what I was going to ask. I mean,. Have you ever met anyone that you've kind of really respected and then you were so disappointed when you actually... I don't think so, purely because I'm so wary of that. Yeah. That anyone who would be disappointing to meet in person... You don't, you wouldn't meet them. If I saw like somebody, apart from maybe like the odd person I'm like a super fan of, if I saw them at a gig or if I saw them in a bar or on the street, I'm not the type to go approach. Yeah. Just because I feel like they're... It's maybe rude. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not. Some people are better with it than others. But uh, yeah, I would never really just go and approach people too much. So I feel like if somebody was really bad to meet in person, I probably wouldn't have even bothered yeah. entertaining it unless they were immediately opening, open and welcoming. Do you... I, I'm, I'm going to save my other question for when a band's played later. Okay. Um, but the next... Um, Tom Petty and Heartbreakers so I mean obviously Tom's passed away now mm-hmm. um, so why this song why does this mean so it's the waiting and why does this yep. mean so much to you uh, I remember it because it's the first Tom Petty song I heard and I heard it on the episode of The Simpsons <laughs> when I was very young can't remember when but it's season 9 The Cartridge Family where Homer goes to buy a gun and he has to wait three days for it and he sits outside in the garden and like the montage goes by of the days going past and the waiting plays.
remember hearing it. Because they didn't play so much music in The Simpsons, like not licensed music anyway. And I hadn't heard, I still haven't heard Tom Petty's music in a lot of TV or film or anything. So it was one of the first memories I have, I guess, of hearing a song and going to find out who it was. Like going straight to the, like pausing the credits at the end of the VHS to see who that song was by. And it's just such a good song anyway, and it's a song I'll play all the time. And when I found out he died, it was like one of the first. There's the really, because you can go two ways with it. You can go really kind of wallowing and go with that solo record maybe and pick like You Don't Know How It Feels or something like that. But I kind of just wanted to go to the Heartbreaker songs that I really liked, like the yeah. kind of the more joyous ones. The ones that took me, I guess, from that, it's kind of like the bridge from classic rock to you're into sophisticated guitar music now. Mm-hmm. And I used to watch a lot of live stuff of the Heartbreakers and there was a clip I was obsessed with of them recording Refugee where well, they'd record it at Sound City and they'd do it all in one take and you see Tom as a complete perf- like a psycho but a complete perfectionist like they're just constantly restarting and constantly restarting it takes some hours because he wants to do it in one take full live band so everything about Tom Petty I was always obsessed with and The Waiting's just that sticks out as the first song I heard uh- you mentioned Tom Goldflake paint. Now he seems to have become quite uh, the uh, um, the friend of several people in Glasgow. I mean, obviously he moved up from Bristol, and I had been following his blog when he was down there, mm-hmm. um, and that's how I got to to kind of know him and things like that. Tom works in your shop. Yeah, we're gonna destroy the uh, the kind of the um, the mystery of Tom being some superstar blogger that goes to the Brit Awards, which I think he did, um, but that he actually does work as mm-hmm. well. Yep. So how did that happen? Uh, I used to read Tom's blog. Yeah. Um, so I was following it, and then when we made the Twitter account for the shop, I made it like three months early, and uh, started following people who I wanted to follow, and. Uh, Tom was the one that messaged me and he just, I don't know if he was, ex- we didn't really post anything about the shop yet, so I didn't know how he kind of got the idea that we would have similar instincts, but he messaged just to see like if there's anything he could post to help the PR of it or to like get the launch known about or whatever, uh, and then we kind of got into talking about doing something interesting, I can't remember what it was, really vague, so we met at the cafe near around the corner, the first time I'd ever met him. And then we talked for like 20 minutes about what he could post about the shop or if he wanted to write a story about it or something like that. And then at the end of it, I was like, oh, I'm interviewing staff all day. We have to get a couple of members of staff. And he went, I could do this. He was like, I could do this some hours. So as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, you're hired. You're on board. So from day one, it's just been me and Tom. So he's been the... Uh, apart from the odd, like we had Phil from Chorus, he worked maybe five, six months, mm-hmm. uh, and we've had a few other one or two week type people, but it always ends up in the fact that I'll work every day anyway, Yeah. so we don't really need more than me and Tom, and as long as Tom's free, I'm always going to have Tom, because I don't think I'd have, I don't blow too much smoke up his arse. <laughs> I don't <laughs> quite know what the shop would be like if it wasn't for Tom. But the two of you seem to be very socially conscious. Um, that's one thing that you do share in common. Yeah. 
and you both seem to be very righteous in terms of what you talk about and what you believe in and what you support and sometimes I um, I mean I guess that there's a lot of respect from people before the both of for both of you because of that and is there is there things that Tom's taught you since you've kind of opened the shop there's wee bits of everything I feel like I probably owe to mm -hmm. to Tom I don't quite know what the shop would be like if it wasn't for yeah. him working here me seeing him once a week you know and then me talking to him about music but it's a community that you've created as well here I believe um, and the next artist that you've picked for the playlist um, so Julian Baker it's that must have been I mean now where she's gone mm -hmm. and where she especially recently in terms of the publicity you must you had an in-store yeah and you how did that come about so the day I think it's to the day the day I opened the shop we opened the front door of the shop she dropped her first album on Bandcamp I think it's the exact day 28th of October or something like that I want to say 2015 um, I'm, I'm gonna assume it was through Goldflake Paint yeah but I don't I, I don't actually know I think somebody might have just tweeted me out of the blue uh, but I heard Sprained Ankle uh, and completely fell in love with it and then it was the first record I ever tried to like import you know the first record I was like I can't just get this off my usual supplier find this so we used to import it from like a really early stage and it's by a mile our biggest seller still because it was proper 
press play in the shop, somebody will come up to the desk and go, what is that? Yeah. And it was amazing because it meant everything about the shop I wanted it to be. I could find music that wasn't in the mainstream. I could import it. There was no one else in Glasgow doing it. There was big shops in England that used to DM me and ask me where I'm getting it as soon as you started getting big. And it was like, you know, it felt, it felt like we were doing the right thing. We were finding a band, falling in love with it and getting that message out to our regulars that you should all, you should hear this, you need to hear this. So basically you were doing what a blog does but in retail, you were doing it as a shop? Again, that's probably like a big part of Tom's influence yeah. is me being like, that's why I respect most about his blog. Yeah. So that's why I want the shop to be like. Uh, and since then, like since that day, we did like, we went to our gig in Glasgow, our first gig here, uh, and me and our manager became really good pals, my pal Sean, uh, and we ended up, we've gone to like football games together when he comes over <laughs> and stuff like that. We just became really good pals and it was like, so I could, I had, a, I had a line of contact to be like, you know, we're obviously the biggest supporter of our music in the UK, particularly at the time when I was like, it just gave us a line of contact to be like, do you want to do this when you come next time? Or, and it was always, I'd never seen her do in stores really before or anything like that, so I was always like, it's never going to happen. Like, um, but no, because she, she's super nice, um, they were really up for it because I think they appreciated the support. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's meant a, both those records have meant a lot to the shop, even just like a really basic financial level. Those yeah. were guaranteed sales, which is rare to come by. You know, she sold probably 10 times as much as we sold that in your Radiohead record, which is probably a big release. Um, Run the Jewels were probably our second biggest seller, and she sold double them. You know, and the new record's the same. That's insane, isn't it? So it's just, it's felt like a proper, we've championed an artist. You know, we haven't, like, we're not a label, we haven't put money into it, we just championed her because we liked it. Yeah. Uh, used to cost a fair bit to import it, but, yeah, it just felt good to, to be vindicated almost. And then just like, I think her music's amazing and she's really great, so I'm just buzzing to see her getting the recognition she deserves. I feel like she's really young, she's like 22, 21. Well, so that's she's, just a couple of years younger Well, than you. <laughs> I'm an old soul. <laughs> so she's got, you know, years and years ahead of her to become, she's already one of my favourite songwriters ever. I would honestly say that. I feel like Spring the Ankle hit me so hard and I feel like the, her lyrics on the new record are so great. She's got so many more years to become millions of other young girls or kids' favourite songwriter. Well, that's the thing. If she's doing this now, what the hell's going to come in the future, yeah. which is incredible. The next artist you've picked is, is Foo Fighters yeah. um, and the song's Hero. The, um, <laughs> the question that I wanted to ask, and it kind of taps into... Um, what we were talking about before. Um, so Dave Grohl, if he was walking down the street I'd, or... I'd be all over him. Would you? Yeah. So I, that kind no, of contradicts. Because I'd, I'd probably be terrified about it. <laughs> I don't know. He's just, he seems so... Like now he seems so unapproachable or ethereal because he's so big.
and it was so so big when I was 10, 11, whatever at the time but it was like that was my rock star you know he was my be all and end all so what I wanted to so I Nirvana were my that's my band of all time like everything I had to take two weeks off school to mourn the death of Kurt Cobain (laughs) um were Foo, was was it Nirvana or was it Foo, Foo Fighters? Fighters? Right. Foo Fighters was always Foo Fighters. I used to have. I used to. My mum used to hate me because I used to print on like our shitty inkjet printer mm-hmm. Foo Fighters pictures off Google Images and use them as posters. So I didn't have to buy posters. <laughs> so I had a wall of blue tack like full color Foo Fighters Google <laughs> Images. Probably cost a fortune, I think. Um, but yeah, I used to go to all the big. I was never, I was obviously far too young to go to any of the shows that were even remotely intimate. So I used to go to the Hamden shows and the Murrayfield shows and went to Teen the Park 2011 just to see Foo Fighters essentially. Um, yeah, they they will always be, I think, my favourite band. I don't know, like, I'm older and I'm more picky about music and I'm more, I guess, uh, not negative. I can pick things up and I can slag things off a bit more with music. Are you a bit more sceptical now about things, do you think? Yeah, definitely. But the Foo Fighters, like, even their new, their new stuff and everyone's... It's really easy to call them generic stadium fillers, whatever. But it's impossible not to make stadium filler music when you're yeah. filling stadiums. And I really like that new record. I don't think it's amazing. Yeah. But it's really... I enjoy it. The last one, the one before that, Sonic Highways, was the only one I was kind of like, Oh god, maybe I'm gonna be like maybe this is me turning into everyone else who thinks the fighters are overrated and whatever. But I will never like I'll still put that record on the car. I will never Foo Fighters could put out the worst album ever. And if you ask me for a rating out of ten, I'd give it a seven. I'm not a nostalgic person. I yeah. hate if I could wipe my Facebook clean every month, I would do it. I hate looking back at pictures from years ago, I hate talking about school, I hate, I'm just not a nostalgic person at all, but if I put Foo Fighters on, I will just like, my entire positive teen emotions come through, like I don't have any, I don't have, Foo Fighters were never on like my, they don't make sad music, so they were never on my sad times band, everything about Foo Fighters to me is just positive, uh, and my hero was like, it's the really kind of emotional start of that song, and there's a, like a, there's a Nate Mendel interview I remember where he said that they were talking about splitting the band up and then uh, Dave came in with My Hero to the practice room and he was like, oh this song could be good and then they played it that night and as soon as he heard it play live in the big room he was like, oh this is this band's going to go on forever now like he knew that was the, the song and I, I love that song so much uh, and I remember Tina Park actively crying when they played it and I'm not a you're not an emotional no. person but I remember Tina Park being like I'm not going to go as far as saying that you're a robot <laughs> um, but you you do have this kind of this uh, I don't want to say monotone because that <laughs> makes you sound like you're a boring bastard but you are very kind of concealed in ways yeah. when you meet you yeah yeah um, no I'm not a I don't know I don't know the way to put it, but like I like so much emotional art and music, and yeah. that's the most important. Like sincerity is the most important thing to me. Yeah. Maybe that's I'm so overly trying to be sincere mm-hmm. that I don't want to put on any airs and graces. I don't want to be like 
if something hasn't genuinely moved me to bomb my eyes out, I'm not going to kind of force it. Yeah. In the same way with like being super excited about anything. Um, like even that Primavera thing where they ask like to see the lineup. So we 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 need to explain this because some people might not know what what that is. All I know is that I'm on Twitter or Facebook, and all of a sudden I see your face on a Primavera teaser video, mm-hmm. looking um, kind of. Well, my other half, Stuart, joked and went, "He's so fucking acting," and um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "This is why." So I wanted to ask you, were you acting? No, I'm okay. Just, well, I mean, no, because I don't think in the video I'm like that. In the video, I say the word fuck and I like, do a wee applause thing. I did the wee applause thing because I said to the guy before, it was all Europeans and they were all super nice and friendly and happy. And I'm like, I also got there at half ten in the morning and all the drinks were free. So that also probably plays into Alcoholic drinks? Yes. Oh probably, my God. So that probably plays into it a wee bit. <laughs> but I was like, I said to the guy when he was like, making me up, he's like, you're going to see the lineup. And then I was like, I'm not going to give you a big, I'm not going like, to give you a big reaction here. Like, you can show me anything. And I'm, Gonna have to force anything I give you. He's like, nah, just be natural. But I kind of want it to do something. Yeah. The fuck is genuine. It is a genuine fuck. And what was, what band made you say fuck? I can't remember. Right. I I don't know if it was because of Steven, but I can't remember. (laughs) Because I saw the video back and I was like, I remember saying that, but I don't know what I was fucking looking at. Um, And then the wee applause is like at the end of it, where they were like, they were all staring at me in silence. There was like 10 guys behind the camera staring at me in silence. And I was like, I've got to give them Something. something. Yeah. I was like, gave him a wee applause. Whereas all the other fucking people were like bawling their eyes out and hugging each other and shit. I can, I'm not good at, I'm worse at faking things than I am at. Yeah. If I was acting, you'd have really, like, there'd be no doubt because I'm not good at that. Someone was trying to ask me to explain Primavera um, compared to, say, certain festivals that are happening in uh, Scotland, which I'm going to refrain from being negative. Um, the only thing I'm going to be negative about is about the lack of women and, um, mm. I guess, people of colour and, and just there's just really not a fair representation in all seriousness. Um, the Primavera as a festival, what what if you were to say three things that really makes it what like the best festival for you, what what are they? The city, Barcelona in general is amazing. Um, there's an intent to make the festival about good music. There's like an intent there, and it's they try really hard to, which is why this year's gone a wee bit different because they try really hard to actually uh, represent the tastes or they represent the changing landscape of the people that come there. Like if you look back to like earlier years, the quality's still there. But it's maybe more focused to certain other other genres or other kind of scenes that were up at that time. So there is an there's a an intent from them to make it representative. Mm-hmm. And for me, I don't even think it's like a. I don't think you have to think too hard to make it a representative of women or people of colour because if it wasn't, that's when you get bad festivals because the lineup will be bad because you're not you're not putting the best music there. Yeah. It's not that, like it doesn't even. It's not to do with me people having to think extra hard about being equal opportunists it's genuinely just put the best music on and you'll find it really easy to put men and women on it why this is the the question as well I wanted to ask you so obviously we've we've got a big festival happening in Scotland called Transmit and um, it's it's very um, what is kind of deemed 
regularly is very lad rock centric mm-hmm. in in what is is on the festival why why do you think that the audiences within Scotland are are more geared towards those kind of bands I don't even I mean I don't think you can I guess you can argue with ticket sales mm-hmm. but I've refuse to believe stereophonics are booked to sell tickets yeah I refuse to believe that I just don't understand there's Let, nothing let's I understand Shed 7 in there as well Shed 7 yeah there's nobody there is nobody that's going to go to transmit and go I'm fucking buzzing to see Shed 7 I am going to transmit to see Shed 7 today mm-hmm. like Arctic Monkeys totally get yeah I totally fine get with Arctic, Arctic Monkeys. Monkeys yeah I love the first couple records mm-hmm. I don't want to be that guy that says that I love the first couple records um, but I do and I think they still make fine music mm-hmm. um, I totally get that booking that's a big name and it's that kind of sound but there's a lot on that lineup that just I don't have any idea what the thinking is I couldn't even hazard a guess I don't think it's I don't even know if it's intentionally it does feel like trolling at this point because I can't think of any logical reason why you're booking some of these bands yeah. I can't so, so one of the things that I've been quite consistent, in ter- quite consistent in terms of saying is that if you don't like something, try and find something else that, mm-hmm. that you do like, um, and and that's why I don't really. I'm the only thing I'm negative about, as I've mentioned, is is the the kind of lack of diversity on the lineup. Yep. Um, for me, having Primavera is is an amazing thing because it's something that I I. I will go to and I can go to um, are you for, although I'm kind of sad that we're not kind of having that representation in Scotland um, it, with a festival and, mm-hmm. and, and showing that diversity um, if so say for example this is another thing that I want to ask you say for example Primavera that festival was based in Scotland and it was based in Glasgow Green would it be the same yeah I thought I thought there was the the only part of me that had any hope was when they announced Tina Park was dead, and it was uh, we were going to have a three day festival in the city, mm-hmm. no camping, and the rumor immediately was Radiohead headlining. I was like, oh my god, this could be, we could be a destination festival, because when I was in Barcelona, everyone wanted to talk to me about how Glasgow is such a great music mm-hmm. city. Everyone thinks that, you know, the touring schedule here is great. You can go see so many bands here, but when it comes to festivals like we could have been at a European Destination Festival I genuinely believe that if you if you done it right and you had the like they had the upper hammer Radiohead straight away that was the rumour straight away it wasn't even as if we needed people to be on board with it unfortunately I don't feel that the rest of the lineup really kind of provided a great um, underbelly to yeah, Radiohead um, and it felt a bit odd for me. Um, so I was going to see more of the kind of up and coming bands um, than anyone that was underneath mm-hmm. Radiohead. Um, and the reason that we went was for Radiohead yeah. at the end of the day. And again, because I'd, we'd see them at Primavera. Yep. Um, and that was the best musical two and a half hours of my entire life. I think I just cried for two and a half hours. Um, and I felt kind of almost a bit like it. I I just didn't feel the crowd at all. Yeah, I mean I didn't go to transmit, so I can't I can't comment on the crowd. Um, I think people kind of these crowds are uh, created by what you give them. Yeah. 
I can't blame anyone. For, I, I don't blame uh, a big group of guys causing havoc and drinking too much and being lads when that's all you're giving them. Mm-hmm. That's what you're putting up. That's what you've made the day about. You know, deal with it. Um, the crowds you get at any festival are a product of the lineup. Festivals get reputations because of their lineup. You know, I don't. I don't believe people pick destinations to go be arseholes. If you make a festival purely about the music, uh, you're going to get music fans, and you're going to get crowds that police themselves. Whereas, I mean, I can't comment on transmit, but that's just what festivals are made by the lineup first and foremost. I don't mm-hmm. think you can. If there's an argument to be made that if we gave it this lineup, then transmit would be a whole different festival. It's like, yeah, but but that's the kind of thing you should be aiming for if you, you're trying to find the same problems like last year they got so much they got so many pelters for that lineup, and it still had Radiohead on it and that was what let them off and I kind of thought this is, might be the, the plan now find a big headline in the act that lets you off and fill the rest with their like, I actually don't really like I could be in the minority here I probably am I don't like the idea of festivals having making a big deal about having tents for up-and-coming bands. I know that sounds terrible. So why why is that? I just I think it, it almost gives them like a, an out. It's, I used think it's used as like an out. Do you mean to provide that um, that kind of that balance? Yeah, it's like look, we've got yeah, we're sure we have these big ticket sellers that maybe a lot of people don't like, whatever. But that's because we're making room for up-and-coming talent and it's the up-and-coming talent stage and I don't know what they're getting paid but I doubt it so I'm going to provide um, I just have to provide a devil's advocate here okay. um, and a balance here so with Primavera you've you've kind of got a similar thing in the, I, I suppose that um, in the lead up and, and during the day you've you've got the uh, the grassy verge I'll say because I can't remember the stage whether it's the Primavera stage and then you've got um, another stage which is, is down some steps um, yep. in the kind of auditorium part mm-hmm. um, and then you've got some various other bits What? how does that compare? I think there's a big difference between shoehorned local young talent and bands there on, like Primavera top to bottom is totally curated like nuts there on merit. I mean Julian Baker is the best example we saw her on the smaller stage at half five in the afternoon that's not about as low down as you can get and that's that kind of quality you're getting Yeah. you know nothing feels forced or shoehorned in there's no uh, everyone's all the stages are set up perfectly they're all they all kind of feel like they're you're just picking your choice throughout the day it doesn't feel like you're waiting to go to the main stage it just feels like you're going to see good bands and you can jump onto any stage and see one. Whereas there's some way to exploit, oh, exploit's me the wrong word, but these younger bands are probably really grateful to get to say they're playing festivals. And it might be good for them, I don't know. But uh, I do feel like they're used to kind of deflect criticism and just as cheap labour, essentially. You can fill a whole stage with guys that'll pay for, play a festival for 50 quid mm-hmm. or less. Which is, you know, you're filling a whole day's programme of a festival you're charging hundreds of pounds for. Yeah, there's quite a jump between the fee that you would pay um, a main artist and then yeah. as you go down the hierarchy. I would love, to, I would love to see. I like. Uh, I'm not an all-day fan in terms of I don't, I don't want, I don't, I won't stand and watch music for all day. 
but I like the idea of up and coming bands or local talent with working with maybe local promoters, smaller promoters or themselves and putting together you know, days of content or nights of uh, independent bands I feel like that's better for them Yeah, and it's something I would go see yeah. if somebody I trusted told me there's a night of four great uh, unsigned up and coming bands on I'd be much more, more likely to go see it than I would to like jump along to a stage at a festival and see a really probably a crowd who don't really give a fuck mm-hmm. and a stage far too big for a band that isn't ready for it um, just so we can see a news article the next day that talked about how this band blew everyone away at this festival and nothing will come of it and they get paid 30 quid for it or something like that just seems all pointless to me instead they could be kind of making actual grassroots fans and progress well paying themselves and keeping the money within their scene or within their own bands I just feel like you're not they're selling themselves short sometimes yeah uh, and I, that's why I feel like it's a wee bit exploiting but other side of the coin they get to play a big festival I know you know so nobody's really going to say no and that's totally fine I'm never going to yeah it's the flip of the coin isn't it mm. Before we go into your last track choice, um, I want to talk about um, your label. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck did you add that, the, the stress of having a label onto a shop? It just feels like more, I can't see myself doing the shop long term. I would do the label because I find it fun. I find, like, um, if somebody asked me what my favourite kind of unsigned small Scottish bands were, if somebody came to the shop and asked for advice on who to go see, I would have said the three bands I signed. You know, so I got excited about that. And this year we're doing it, we're taking it up like a lot, a few gears, we're kicking up a few gears. In what respect? Well, it's three full lengths at least. We'll probably end up with six full length albums. From those three artists? From three other artists as well, hopefully. Wow. Um, it's just something I find a lot more. So, am I allowed to ask what your model is for your label? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I think with most other indie labels, we do, we do like we recoup what we put in, and we split fifty-fifty with the artist. Right. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Or like, it's all very flexible. Like if Wesley comes in, he's from the Great Albatross, and they're doing a few shows. I love Wesley. He's the best. He's one. He's got a new solo record coming. Yeah, I saw that. So I just wanted to talk about Wesley briefly because he's. Um, if you, if I, he, I wanted to sign him and I couldn't. <laughs> and um, I was, like, I was. It was bittersweet for me that you took him on, um, but I was also like, fuck, <laughs> I wanted Wesley.
Wesley from The Great Albatross mm-hmm. is one of the most talented and endearing and um, wonderful song singer songwriters I've I've ever come across since I've started working in Scottish music, mm-hmm. um, which you probably feel the same. I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, I met Wesley through. I'd heard his old band Boris Smile. Oh my god, that's on so wonderful! A top shelf record sampler. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know Wesley. I didn't. I wouldn't know him to see him in the street. And uh, Sean from John Knox Sex Cop was in the shop, and we were going. We were going to do our first. We used to do. Uh, we stopped doing because it, it just became a hassle to get good people. Uh, we used to do dessert days with Stacey from Bearside, who would make donuts. Stacey Walton. Yep. An institution. <laughs> and we'd have some like acoustic live music on, and. Uh, Sean from John Knox was trying out some solo stuff so he was in the shop just talking about it and then I was talking about we need maybe one more person for that bill and he turns to just a guy who's in the shop who he waved at on the way in and goes you should ask Wesley and I'm like I don't know the f- I don't know the fuck Wesley is I don't know who this guy is <laughs> and he's like but Sean's like you should ask him and he's immediately Wesley's immediately super nice so without even hearing what he did I was like yeah sure uh, give me your email and then as soon as he left I was like I texted Sean, I was like, who is this guy? Uh, and then he sent me the Grab And I'd heard Summer's Gone on a split within two over it, uh, which is on Struggle Town. Yeah. That was the only song I recognised immediately. And I loved it straight away. And then he came in and played Soul in the Shop, loved it, became Pally. And then as soon as I found out he was putting a new album out, it was kind of the same time we were debating we should, because I didn't want to label this early. I kind of wanted to wait a few years, but it was like the same circumstance with Chorus and Clay. They were ready to. They wanted to do something. I was worried somebody else would get there first. Same with Wesley, and we were at an Into Over It show, and Evan from Into Over It and him and Wesley know each other, and Evan goes, "When's your solo record come? When's your uh, new Albatross record coming out?" And Wesley goes, oh, "I'm trying to find somebody to put it out," and I immediately turned to him and went, "I'll do it. Just I'll do it," and then kind of went from there because Wesley what was Wesley's reaction to that I can't I can't tell if he was sceptical or he I seemed think he was wee probably bit more shocked than anything yeah I we think. were just standing next to each other at a gig but me and Wesley became good pals because we used to come to the shop and he's obsessed with David Bazan as well yeah and you can hear that in his music yeah. though so we just talk about David Bazan or we talk about stuff like that so I just knew this is somebody that's all I want out of the the bands and the label is to kind of feel that shared we're all pushing in the same direction. Mm-hmm. So, Chorus and Clay play music that I adore, and we're all of a similar mindset, particularly Chorus, we're a similar age, which is nice because most of the time I'm punching up age wise if I'm dealing with people in the music industry and they don't take me seriously. Uh, so, that was nice, and it was just, and we became friends. So, it was nice to work with your friends, and it became a lot less of like a challenging risk and a lot less scary mm-hmm. when I knew I was putting out three records by my three groups of pals and it's the exact same this year but just with more money involved I yeah. guess but it's it's like money I'm really happy to spend you know it's I have full confidence in those albums to to make it back I don't feel like I'm putting myself in any kind of hole so I, I'm going to talk about the, the last artist that you've picked and then I want to ask you briefly about what what's coming up so um, Live Oak mm-hmm um, 
What? Why this track? Uh, I love country music. Love it. And that's, really? that's something me and Tom hate. They don't get on about most of the time. This is probably what I'm not going to get on with I you about. I adore country music. Why? Because um, it's sincere and it's storytelling. So did you like Taylor Swift when she was no, country no, era? No. So when you say country music, let's define this a bit more. Well, I don't like when people call modern, like they don't when people say modern country. Mm-hmm. I guess the term would maybe be chart country. Like I don't like like Lady Antebellum. You know, I guess that's the only that's the only pure country thing I think of. I love like I love Willie Nelson and I love right. I, okay. I do like really old fashioned country music. But there's a lot of amazing singer-songwriters in a country vein. There's Jason Isbell, there's Tyler Childers, Coulter Wall, there's so many. I just like sincere music. And when country artists do it, most of the time they either... There's two ways I enjoy it. It's they either just say it flat out, really in like a devastating way. Like, devastating country music is heartbreaking. So it's either just super devastating, super straightforward and visceral, or it's done through storytelling. Uh, and that's Jason Isbell track is a song about uh, he used to be a really bad drinker and he's been sober for six years now I think so that was his first big album after he was sober there's a man who walks beside me is who I used to be and I wonder if she sees him and confuses him with me and I wonder who she's pining for all nights I'm not around could it be the man who did the things I'm living now? I was rougher than the timber shipping out of Fond du Lac When I headed south at 17, the sheriff on my back I'd never held a lover in my arms or in my gaze So I found another victim every couple But the night I fell in love with her, I made my weakness known To the fighters and the farmers digging dusty fields alone The jealous innuendos of the lonely hearted men Let me know what kind of country I was sleeping in Well, you couldn't stay alone or on the plains before the war my neighbors took to slighting me, I had to ask what for. Rumors of my wickedness had reached our little town. Soon she'd heard about the boys I used to hang around. We'd robbed a Great Lakes freighter, killed a couple men aboard. And I told her her eyes flickered like the sharp steel of a sword. All the things that she'd suspected I'd expected her to fear Was the truth that drew her to me when I landed here There's a man who walks beside me is who I used to be And I wonder if she sees him and confuses him with me And I wonder who she's pining for on nights I'm not around could it be the man who did the things I'm living now? Could it be the man who did the things I'm living now? 
live oak in her box from shortleaf pine Buried her so deep she touched the water table line Picked up what I needed and I headed south again To myself I wonder would I ever find another friend There's a man who walks beside her He is who I used to be And I wonder if she sees him and confuses him with me And it was the one that kind of sent him into the stardom a wee bit And that track is uh, about him worrying about whether people think of him the same way but he does it through a completely fictional story about like a and I can like well in the past about this kind of troublemaker guy who moves to a different place to hope he gets away from all these to kind of move on and become a new person but he knows that follows him around everywhere and he worries that his wife still sees him like is attracted to him as the troublemaker as the party animal or the guy he used to be so that's what he's thinking in his Jason Isbell's head yeah, but the way he tells the story is like a guy who robbed a like robbed a freighter with like a gang, and he moves to a different country. But the whispers kind of go about the town, and he can't really escape it. And he's worried that the woman he's with likes him because she thinks him was the guy he used to be, the rock star, I guess, in real life. Uh, so it just kind of exemplifies what I like about his storytelling in particular. He'll make a completely different character up for every song, and I just like sitting and listening to stories that you can pick apart and he's just got a beautiful voice as well and plays guitar really nicely which is good you said earlier that you don't see yourself um running a record shop for for your life yeah so what 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 are the kind of things that you do see oh yourself? no idea no idea that's a great thing i want to keep doing interesting things i want to be involved in new music like i my dream was always just to work that desk job for a label like a big mm. label I liked like I went to Seattle because I wanted to knock on Sub Pop store and say hi and I went to and I wanted to go to KEXP and say hi and I went to Austin because I just wanted to see the Willie Nelson statue and go to Austin City Limits and shit like that that's all I want to do uh, so wherever that takes me I guess I mean I can carry the LP records I guess that's why I like Twitter and stuff like that I just like it being something more than just a place where people buy records. What What's the one thing that you've learnt? What, what's the one thing that's kind of really stuck with you? It's important, I think, to find people you trust and really lean on them because there's so many people you won't trust. I think the better you can get at picking those people out of a crowd, the better. And the more you kind of just get used to the fact you're going to have a specific audience and engage with them instead of just being like catering to everyone if we tried to care to everyone we'd be shot uh, because it would have been nobody would have cared about the interesting things we do mm-hmm. so I think that and if somebody my age wanted to open a record shop I'd tell them not to fucking do it um, yeah I wouldn't because I I just feel like I'm too it's the winter that does this to me but I, just, I feel like I'm too young to be sitting in a record shop yeah. when it's great, it's great so when a Friday new release is out and there's tons of good stuff, I love it because people are coming, on, coming in and buying new stuff and we're talking about it um, but I do just want to be more active, I guess just stay active because otherwise you'll get bogged down in what you're doing if you're doing multiple things, the things you're getting bogged down in don't seem as bad 
So when I'm doing admin for the shop, uh, I'll take a wee break and do stuff for the label, and it's a wee bit more immediate. You can kind of get that feedback straight away, whereas nobody care, nobody knows that I sit up here and pour over spreadsheets and shit like that. Which is why I'll just go on Twitter, and I'll just be like, "This is work," because I'm firing off tweets about new music. Mm-hmm. So it's my release. Uh, but yeah, I think trust, finding people you trust because there's so many wee different facets to music, the music industry. So I have promoters I trust better than others, and I have even just finding stuff like artists and photographers and every wee thing. If you find groups of people, uh, and usually you'll find them all linked to each other, you know, particularly in Glasgow, there's yeah. definitely just everyone's it's quite a, fractured a in Glasgow. A bed of incest, let me tell you. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I think that's the most important thing. But yeah, don't open a record shop. Okay, so we'll end with don't LP record records, shop. don't open a record shop. Unless you've got like a lot of money to piss away. Okay. Or like, in fact, yeah, just don't open one. Yeah, Let, let's just end it. LP Records says don't open a record shop. Yeah. Come to mine, but... Yeah, but buy stuff. Mine, yeah. Thank you so much. It's been great. It's been wonderful speaking to you and... Um, Please remind people of the address of your shop. Uh, we're on Park Road, right next to Kelvin Bridge Subway Station. You can jump straight off Kelvin Bridge and you'll see us. We're a big purple shop. Hard to miss. Sorry, a big throbbing purple yeah, a big shop. throbbing purple shop. On the street. Sorry. One, Thank two, you, Thanks Lorenzo. Thanks They're gone.